Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Renewables. We are very, very excited about our guest this week. Big thank you to Mike Niemer, the president and CEO of eRenewable for being here this week. eRenewable is a really interesting, relatively new renewable energy company and platform uh, that we are proud to be looking at some deals with and and proud to know. Um, Mike, welcome to the show and thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks, David. I appreciate the time today. And uh... As always, always a pleasure to talk to you. So I'm looking forward to the, today's conversation. Yeah, it's going to be a great conversation. You have a super interesting background in the oil and gas business, which I want to get into here in a minute. Uh, but the sports fanatic in me uh, would would be <laughs> has to mention that uh, you're a Kansas Jayhawk, an alumni of, of KU. And I think you also, did you do a master's or some program at University of Houston as well? Well, I didn't get a master's at U of H. What I did do is I was one of the founding board members of the, uh, with the, I was on the Dean's advisory board, one of the founders of the GEMI master's program, which is a global energy management. Institute. Got it. Okay, great. So that was in the early 2000s that we started that. So that's, that was my time spent there was on that board. Yeah. So I know you had some involvement there and uh, we, Mike and I joke that during basketball season, you wear the KU hat, right? And then I uh, do, yeah. during football season, you you find that U of H hat. <laughs> I do, and that's interesting this year too because they've had five opening day games. Yeah. Everyone's been canceled because the other teams had COVID to play. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, I hope they- not put anything on this year. Yeah, well, I hope they get to play and- uh, hope that we're coming towards the the final end of this thing and the final sort of quarter of this. And we're going to talk about COVID here in a little bit because I know that's led to um, sort of a need to renew your new business and, and shift a little bit. So we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, I think it's awesome that you work with your wife in the business. Is that right? I do. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. No, uh, uh, she, in her professional career, she spent a lot of years in, also in the energy space, and that's what made dating so easy in the beginning is we knew the same people when we were both in refined fuels. And so it's just been a natural progression for us to always be talking about the energy markets in our house. So it was just a natural thing to do, and COVID made it easier because we were all just stuck at home, right? So sure. it worked out well. So is that a double desk there, or do you, uh, do you have separate offices? Separate offices. That's probably for the best. Yeah, you know, I, we have a we have a three story patio home. I'm on floor one; she's on floor three. So there you go, a little buffer in between. <laughs> Good deal. Well, I I could not work with my wife because she is a nurse in the pediatric ICU, and I would be fainting, or you know, uh, that would be a real problem for me. But but she could probably work with me. Um, but no, that's really cool that that you get to spend that time with her, uh, in a professional, from a professional standpoint and, um, family oriented guy. And, and that's all great. Um, so I want to talk to you about, uh, your past, your experience in the oil and gas business, because you had a, a really successful and impressive career 
I think 35, 40 year career in the oil and gas business. So tell us, tell our listeners, just kind of set the stage for where you were and then we'll get to, you know, how you got to here. Sure. Um, I had been in energy for 40 years, uh, starting from an independent oil producer to a convenience store operator where I bought all the fuel on the outside. I was always in the oil and refined fuel side of things. I moved to Houston because I took a job in 1989 trading refined fuels at Enron. And two or three years into that, I I pivoted over into the oil sector and I started a... um, I started a, uh, a new product where when we bought crude oil at the lease, I could put an underlying floor with it to guarantee the value of the oil to the producer and to the banks. And so that was new to the market because oil it just came out of $9 back then when we had the invasion wow. and everything else. And so when it got up to 15, it had some appeal to everybody. So I did that for a while. And then I finally uh, switched over into the brokerage space and became a partner at one of the large over-the-counter brokerage desk for wholesale electricity. And that took me into natural, or wholesale gas, excuse me, that took me into the natural gas space. From there, I moved in. That led me right into futures because the Dodd-Frank Act had everybody get their futures license. So I became more of a futures broker than an over-the-counter broker. And then uh, through all that, I got tied into a technology company. I saw what it was doing for natural gas and electricity. And then I get that phone call one day from a developer and that developer asked me, can you use your auction platform for virtual PPA? And he's asking a guy that has never done one electricity deal in his entire life. Okay. <laughs> so I said, let me research it and find out. So I research it, do, do my due diligence. And three, four months later, I know that I can do the auction. I know that the market needs it. And that was the moment that I said, this is for me. This is what I want to do. And that kind of was the, uh, the making of e-renewable. Really interesting. So let's stay, stay on the gas auction for just a minute because um, some of our viewers, a lot of our viewers are really tuned into the energy space. Some aren't though. We have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen in and watch who may not be kind of as specific in the energy markets. And in Kansas and Missouri and a lot of the Midwest, we don't have deregulated electricity markets. They're technically, most of these states are deregulated gas markets, but there's not a lot of shopping for gas contracts going on in this part of the country. So give us just kind of a, a 101 on what your uh, gas um, brokerage or, or your, pardon me, your um, auction platform really does and, and what types of consumers are, are getting on there and shopping. Well, as a matter of fact, I actually did a gas auction for an ethanol plant in Kansas once. Okay. All right. And so they've got to, of course, go buy their gas to, to fuel everything. And so they typically buy gas, wholesale gas contracts either in the winter or summer strips. So, you know, the winter's the November through March and the summer's the April through October. So they're either in those sectors or one-year strips, you know, from a start date. And so if I remember right, we did uh, both a winter and summer piece and he placed it with two different suppliers. And the reason that happens is when we run an auction, 
We, he wants a one year, but we don't want to just look at the one year. Let's look at both the winter, the summer, and the one year winter strip so we can compare prices between all the different suppliers because you never know when one supplier has an ax to grind in one particular strip, right? Sure. So with that said, in his auction, that exactly happened. One, one supplier won the winter and a different supplier won the summer. And when he aggregated the price of the two together, it equaled a better price than the guy offered in the one-year strip. And so that's what happened, okay? Interesting. So, so with that concept of multiple strips being looked at to come up with a better price, that's the concept I brought to the auction floor for renewable products that they weren't really seeing. Is that the hmm. moment we're running an auction, I don't care if it's gas, electricity, or renewable, whatever the price is at the end of that auction, that is the price at that moment in time at that location for that time period. So on the auction, I always encourage all my hosts to look at more than one term at a time. Because hmm. just like with your ethanol guy in Kansas, you just don't know. Uh, there could be that one supplier with an ax or one buyer with an ax, and they come and give you a good price in that one term. So sure. it's kind of the business as to how that works. It's more, uh, you know, in your areas where it is regulated, you're right. So for the smaller home or something, you're not going to do a, a gas deal there. But for the ethanol plants of the world or the manufacturing companies of the world, you know, we do a lot of natural gas. Uh, we just did, I did two natural gas wholesale deals in uh, one in Wisconsin and, excuse me, one in Michigan and one in Ohio this week. And so right. with a large uh, national firm. So just trying to find the best competitive market they can. So that's great. I really appreciate that that context. And so so you get a call and somebody's asking about a virtual PPA and for our listeners or followers who are wondering what's that uh, virtual power purchase agreement, uh, the way that we typically finance solar projects is via a power purchase agreement. So I'll go, let's take a school for example, and build the solar site on top of the school. And then I sell them the power through a power purchase agreement and they agree to purchase it at a given rate. So Mike, you were called for a virtual PPA and uh, I'll let you take that one and sort of explain. Again, a lot of our listeners I think are very familiar but there might be a few who aren't. So walk us through what that virtual PPA is and, and why that meant uh, that you we're going to be starting a new company with a new focus on renewables. Well, a virtual, well, the PPA you're talking about with your microgrid that you built, that's a physical delivery. So that's a physical yep. power being used. The virtual, when you put the word virtual in front of it, that product becomes a financial swap. And what we mean by swap is, let's say you're buying, paying $30 a megawatt on that virtual PPA. So, if they, so on paper, you own it at $30. At the end of the month, when the developer puts it to market, if he collects $31 for it, he writes you a $1 check because you own it at 30, it's now worth 31. But conversely, if he puts it to market and it's at 29, you write him a check for $1 because you still own it for $30. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't fit everybody, but what it, those that know how to use financial products, it does fit quite well. And what it allows is in these states that we've talked about with 30, the 35 states that are regulated, 
by having a virtual auction in ERCOT or in PJM or even in California, it allows you to invite participants from the regulated areas that can't get what they want within their own state. They can come and buy a virtual and, and create it synthetically through the swap. And that's what a virtual is. Yeah, it's fascinating. And we're seeing this a lot, particularly, um, well, in a lot of different segments, but seeing a tremendous amount of growth in the commercial and industrial space uh, with respect to virtual PPAs. And as my followers and listeners have heard us me talk about in the past, uh, there's a real ESG wave that that is everybody seems to be riding right now. And you're seeing these corporations set extremely lofty and inspirational, frankly, uh, renewable energy goals and, uh, you know, net zero emissions goals. And so so talk to us about how important the VPPA is in order to be able to make those goals a reality. Well, first, with regards to the financial swap that we're discussing, in my whole 40 years in energy, every market that I've ever seen that's moved from physical to financial, the volumes will increase a minimum of 10 times what they trade financially or physically, they'll start trading financially. So when you talk about the expected growth, I think the growth is gonna be huge just because historically we've seen that. Go back and look when 1980, when crude oil started trading physically, and all of a sudden it's on the NYMEX, and then boom, it explodes because it's trading financially. Same yeah. thing in 1990 for nat gas. This should not be any different. We're gonna see uh, people from all over the world starting to trade these virtual products because it's an easy way to achieve those goals that you're talking about when they have to have so much sustainability. They've got to be at 100. I've talked to somebody the other day, it's supposed to be at 100% sustainable by 2030. Well, physically, yeah. that can be kind of difficult to do. So you right. have two choices. You're going to do the virtual, or you're going to put on unbundled ref, right? You're going to buy that and be able to claim green. But yeah. there are lofty goals a lot of these people are putting in place, and they're not really realizing the city councils for some of these communities may be putting them in place, but they don't realize how cumbersome the mechanism behind the words are to get there and to achieve that. So we can help them by a couple different ways, virtual, coaching them through that and helping that, educating them with that and helping them purchase an unbundled wreck to get there. And then as soon as they build out your microgrid that you discussed, you can flip out of the unbundled wreck to balance your book. Yeah, so tell our viewers um, we've gotten into this a little bit on a past episode, but talk to our viewers about bundled versus unbundled RECs. RECs stand for Renewable Energy Credits. So uh, tell our viewers at a, at least a 10,000-foot level, what is an unbundled REC? What do you mean when you say that? Well, when, when you were talking about your PPA that you're, you sold to your customer that you built the yep. microgrid, that involved they bought the energy, the physical energy, and they got the renewable energy credit. They got the REC. So that is yep. a bundled REC. So now, if you strip out the energy and it's only the renewable energy credit, that is an unbundled REC, and you still get to make the same attribute claim that you're sustainable, you just, because it wasn't built, you can't claim additionality, right? Because nothing new was built for the grid. But they have the certificate, they could retire the certificate, and thus, they're being green. 
Yeah, so for our listeners and viewers, there's a lot of uh, Texas wind is one that comes to mind where uh, these corporations that have set these really lofty ESG goals, they don't have the physical space to, to actually build their own microgrids, as you put it, or solar or whatever it may be. Um, they have to get into some sort of virtual PPA or you're seeing a lot of them go out and buy unbundled recs from large utility uh, wind installations down in Texas, for example. And those unbundled recs, uh, Mike, you'll know the better pr- the pricing better than I will. Uh, you those trade at a pretty reasonable price, right? I mean that that's a a pretty low cost way for a company to go out and and hit an ESG goal. Yeah. So for example, if you were talking to me eight months ago in ERCOT, you could buy them for under a dollar a megawatt hour, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now it's in the dollar fifty to two dollar range. We've kind of had a spike in it, so on and so forth. But still. That's some of the cheaper wrecks in the entire country. I know plenty of people that have a nor uh, they're in uh, PSAG and they that's a more expensive or a PJM and that's a mm-hmm. more expensive wreck. But for them to achieve their sustainability in a more cost-effective way, they're buying the ERCOT wreck in place of that wreck so they can still right. claim it and it's easier on their balance sheet. So right. That's easiest way. And it's really interesting that it seems that these ESG rules are still sort of being written. And uh, there seems to be um, less credit given, if you will, uh, not not in terms of, I mean, the credits are still a credit's a credit, right? Uh, but it seems like there's sort of a push, perhaps all the way down to the at the consumer level, for companies to do more than just go out and buy a bunch of unbundled wrecks. So they, they uh, we're actually seeing a group right now that, that we're working with. Um, it's a, a group of hospitals. We're working with them at a distance, uh, but they have a desire to, to do a virtual PPA, to have the bundled wrecks, and they're, they're asking that that come from PJIM, so not PJM, not from ERCOT. So they're specifying, you know, it the power needs to at least be generated in this sandbox in order for it to really meet our goal. Talk to me about that. Do you think there's uh do you think there's validity to kind of what I'm saying? Do you think that as these because again it feels sort of like the Wild West with respect to these, these rules are sort of being written right now. Uh, are you seeing that? Well, when we were able to attend conventions, the last two yeah. conventions I went to, exactly what you just talked about. The, some people want it to be exactly in the location they're at, and others want it to buy the cheapest possible. And yeah. it seems like in both conventions, everybody that said it out loud or I talked to, it's about a 50-50 split on everybody's point of view. Half the people want the best for the bottom line of the company. The other half wants the ethical version of buying it from where they're at. And there is no consensus one way or the other in those two conventions I were at. Just speaking from that point of view and from the customers I talked to, I've got a muni in California. He's buying it ERCOT Rex to to offset because it's the cheapest and that's what the city can afford. So everybody's got their own need and, uh, Someday this will probably all shake out, but in the meantime, it is the wild, wild west. You can buy them where you want. Yep. Yeah, it's super interesting. So so let's shift just a little bit. 
talk to me about COVID and you know, you're, you're launching a new business uh, with a really, really neat platform. Um, and I've seen sort of a demo uh, that Mike's given to my team and, and it's really cool the way that the way that he does this. But talk to me about how COVID has affected your business and how have you had to renew your model uh, since March as this global pandemic hit? Well, that's a great question because uh, we had our last auction late April, right after COVID hit. Yep. Uh, relatively successful auction, had a lot of volume, had decent respected price. Uh, we didn't know how great the price was till the next month when it fell $2 below what our price was. But, <laughs> wow. So our system brought competition and we act, we, it makes aggregation extremely simple. And that was mm-hmm. part of the premise of why I wanted to do this. We help companies aggregate faster uh, by blending you know, different bids together. So that said, after that took place, I had two different sellers and two different buyers lined up for auctions. But then in the heart of COVID, everybody's at home, everything went on hold. So here we're sitting here like, what are we supposed to do? So we pivoted into a heavy marketing, heavy marketing campaign to develop our customer base, to get name recognition, you know, to be on shows like yours, to have our own podcast. So, so as we continue to market via our email campaigns, constant contact, you know, LinkedIn, all the normal channels to market, you know, we've, we've got a list. We, we send out to over 4,000 people that we have names of now. Okay. And we've had, tons of different meetings that we've taken on the phone. And from those meetings, I've had to pivot into more than just the auction. And the pivots mm-hmm. came to topics such as microgrids are now a common topic. Matter of fact, that's what we're working with your firm on is a couple of those different installations. Yeah. Energy master plans are a common topic that we've discussed. Unbundled recs has become extremely important in that conversation. And uh, of late, I've got a guys asking, can we use the auction for to buy a renewable retail electricity product? And of course they can. So, so we've had to pivot away from strictly being the large PPA, BPPA auction and give sure. them the customer flexibility and be able to advise them. And so we put project partners in place for any of that that I named that we don't personally do ourselves. We've got project partners in place that do do it, that I trust we can refer to our customer and we then take that next phone call with that partner on the phone with us. Sure. So that's how, that's how it's, it's, uh, you know, gone, you know, we started our podcast that you so uh, kindly was a guest of on Monday, which was then phenomenally received. So you did a great job on that. Yeah. The Green Insider. So uh, we appreciate that and glad to be able to be here on yours today. Yeah, I really enjoyed being on the Green Insider. And for our listeners and viewers, if you're enjoying our podcast, I can I can promise you that you will enjoy the Green Insider. Uh, Mike, tell us real quick, because you have uh, you sort of co-host that uh, with a guy named Fred Davis, who is, is an inspiration to me because he's got an awesome voice and he's just it's totally animated. I mean, really a, a great podcast voice. Uh, so tell our, our listeners and viewers how to find that. Well, you can, uh, we're on, wherever you find your podcast, we're there. We're on Apple, we're on Google, we're on Spotify, we're on all those. But you can actually simply just go to our website, erenew.net, and we have every episode under our e-media page. 
And Fred's a great host. He's a professional at what he does. And I just enjoyed, you know, watching him. I'm the co-host. He's really the host, okay? And each yeah. one I'm getting progressively better because I didn't realize I didn't really listen as well as I should in the beginning. You know, it, it takes a knack, as you're probably discovering as you host your own. It takes a little bit of a knack to be a host. And so uh, Fred does a great job. Uh, he also is from KU. And uh, we actually met on a Les Miles Twitter feed about KU football last year. <laughs> so he said something. Awesome. He said something. I responded to it. And overnight, he direct messaged me and wanted to talk about the energy business. And it was that simple. And here we go. The Green that's Insider so cool. was born. Yes. That's great. You know, uh, a colleague of mine who works in our business, Peter Gohausen, he, uh, I, it is actually fairly common for me to say, how'd you meet that guy? Or how'd you meet that guy? Oh, on Twitter. And so I love that. That's great. That's what these social platforms should be doing is connecting, uh, you know, like-minded individuals and, and business people that's really, really cool. And, um, you know, I, I can tell that, that you're an entrepreneurial guy. I think it's really, really smart, even though maybe you didn't intend for it to happen this way with the pandemic, who could have seen that coming? But I think that all these different services that you're putting in place and now being able to offer, whether it's you or through a partner for companies and municipalities, um, I think that's really, really awesome because like we said, it's the wild west and there's a lot of people out there trying to learn, uh, you know, as quickly as they can, how do I meet my ESG goals? How do I be sustainable? And so it seems like you're building out a really, really necessary and frankly needed uh, platform for customers. So tell me what types of customers are you most commonly working with? I know you and I are working with a couple of different municipalities, looking at uh, physical delivery with solar and microgrid projects. What other types of customers are you typically working with? So right now, the most common conversation is with the municipalities. They okay. need a lot of help. They need a lot of education. And so from those calls, that's what drove us to the podcast and to our uh, blog was education. We saw that so many of them are understaffed, overworked and understaffed. Now that you have COVID, sure. they just are yearning for education. So we hope to bring them education by interviewing professionals like yourself, okay? And so the munis have been an important role in what we've done so far. Sure. Uh, we have got some Fortune 50 companies looking at the buyer's auction on our platform because mm -hmm. it does simplify the process for them. Because you know, if you've been involved in an RFP, RFP could take months. You gotta get shortlisted and everything else, right? And oh, we, sure. have the, we have ours done in mm -hmm. 45 minutes. And we, so mm -hmm. we do the RFP work for them. We're a great assistance to that buyer. And so wow. conversely, the, uh, the seller that's a developer is always looking for an off taker, right? They're looking for a buyer. So the auctions we've had have been seller's auctions and we delivered in the first auction, 18 buyers and this, the next two auctions, 17 buyers showed up on both and we did all the work. The seller didn't have to do anything to invite anybody. We took care of all of that. And so we That's put out awesome. the RFP and we have question answer periods and, and so we help expedite things. So, so we've got developers on one side that maybe are short in marketing, that they need a little help bringing a buyer or an off taker we can help with that. Conversely, the buyer that wants to 
have a quicker RFP or wants to be part of an aggregation, we can show them how to do that as we aggregate volumes onto the platform. Um, whether that's a, a Muni or CNI customer, universities are also one that we've been pretty commonly talking to. So yeah. that entire space, there's a, there's a niche for that on the platform, a variety of different ways we can structure it. But uh, there's not one customer that is, that is my true target. I would be blind to think it's just one guy or one, one, one uh, institutional lane that I have to drive down, right? So we got the developers to sell it, and then we have to have the munis, the CNI, and the universities or states to come back in uh, as, a, as a procurement side. You know, we've also had interest, believe it or not, I didn't expect was the interest in the longer term deals also from the trading world and utilities. Mm -hmm. They've been interested to be on an option to be buyers. And so that's been a big benefit for us. Yeah. So that took, that took me back to my wholesale days that I, in, in the oil and gas business, with the same companies I used to deal with before, just a different division. So that was pretty seamless for myself to be able to bring that to the table. Sure. Very interesting. You know, Biostar, really quickly to your uh, point on RFPs, I just talked to a school district a couple of weeks ago that told me it cost them between fifty and $70,000 to issue an RFP. And uh, they can't stand having to issue RFPs, but they, they end up having to do it all the time. So it's a really interesting point. And um, I mean, that's a lot of value that you can bring to a buyer uh, from that standpoint. I mean, just the RFP alone is such so burdensome oftentimes. And you know, it's uh, in the majority of states, if they go out on, instead of going out on their own old fashioned RFP, if they're going to an auction platform, that satisfies all the state's procurement laws and they don't have to go through all those gyrations. We can yeah. automate the whole thing and it's done much, much faster and more streamlined for them. And in addition to the streamline, it's transparent because all the participants see the price, do you want to beat it or not? And it's as simple as that. Yeah. They just don't know who they're against. And That's so just streamline everything and make it more efficient for all participants. Are you offering renewable natural gas auctions? And if not, is that something that, that you think you'll consider in the future? Well, nobody's asked me to do one. It'd be very simple for us to do. It's just minor tweaks to be able to make it fit the product that we're trying to do. So sure. that is something we can sure talk about offline if that's something you all have an interest in, because that would not be an issue for us to be able to do that. Sure. We're, we're really putting a lot of focus into developing renewable natural gas projects. And uh, we absolutely will circle up on that offline. Uh, that's a, probably a whole other podcast. So Mike Niemer, thank you so much for coming on. I hope you'll come back uh, maybe in a few months. Hopefully we'll be on the other side of this pandemic. And uh, I want to stay in touch and, and make sure our listeners can stay in touch and, and keep up with all the good work that you're doing. One more time, give us your website so our listeners can go there to find your, your podcast, The Green Insider. You can also find it on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Google. But, but please, one more time, give us your website so our listeners know. Yeah, we just revamped our website. Please visit it, erenew.net. That's erenew.net. And if you ever want to call us, we have a real simple toll-free number, 866 Eber new one. Give us a call. 
easy enough. Mike, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a great conversation. Thank you, David. I appreciate your time. I look forward to our next discussion. Likewise. Have a good weekend. Bye.